All right, serious question. What if your parents had dementia or Alzheimer's or some other condition where they can't rely on themselves? As in like they need your help, including their money. What are you going to do about it? I started to have, you know, I started getting involved with her financial life really just to protect her, you know, initially from making bad financial decisions. And now that it's been 10 years since her Alzheimer's diagnosis, I mean, I'm in charge of everything. That's Cameron. And she's describing the time where she was forced to talk with her mom about her finances when her mom started showing visible signs of Alzheimer's. Now, the good news you heard is that she got all of the paperwork in order and including getting enough money for long-term care. But that's not always the case. There's some pretty grim scenarios, some of which will have you spending quite a ton of money. So it's probably a good idea to have the talk with your parents right now. Don't worry, I got your back. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, your host, and here to give you space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. I'm chatting with Cameron Huddleston today, who's an award-winning journalist and author of Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. We chat about her experience becoming the power of attorney for mom's finances, how you can approach talking with your parents about how they're going to handle their golden years all the way to the nitty gritty of the paperwork involved. Now, at the end of the episode, I'm going to give you some guidance on how you can approach the money talk with your parents. Before we get started, I just want to talk about support for the podcast. If you get a lot of value out of these episodes, one way to support it is to sign up for a free trial of Audible. Series 8 doesn't cost you anything. So when you sign up, you get a free 30-day trial, which includes two audiobooks for free, like the one that Cameron wrote. I get a little kickback in return, which will help fund the show. So to nab your free trial, go to beyondthedollar.co slash audible. And to find resources shared in this episode, go to beyondthedollar.co or click on the link in your podcast app. Now get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Cameron, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. I'm so excited to have you on today. I am so excited to be here. Love it. So just, I I probably said this in the intro, but just a little bit of a a warning to listeners out there. It is a bit of a serious topic, but very important one. So we're going to try to get through, you know, Cameron's experience and some of the things that you can do and definitely pick up her book. I just mentioned this pre-recording that it's a very quick read. I'm going to put in air quotes, easy read because the topic is obviously not easy, but important nonetheless. So before we dive into you know, the book a little bit and your experience, can you just define what the sandwich generation means to the listeners? The sandwich generation includes people who are caring for both aging parents and for their own children. I am part of this generation. I have three kids and I have a mother with Alzheimer's disease. She was diagnosed a little more than 10 years ago. And I was, you know, 35 at the time. She was 65. So she was relatively young when she got that, that diagnosis. You know, unfortunately, this is a growing generation because as people live longer, you know, that means, you know, more and more adults will likely have to get involved with their parents' lives as they live longer and then they face more health issues. And because a lot of people are waiting until they're older to have their children, 
you know, they might not have been in their 20s when they had their kids or in their 30s or maybe in their 40s. And so they could still have kids at home when mom and dad are needing help too. And it's, you are literally a sandwich. You are sandwiched between, you know, the older generation and the younger generation and caring for them. And it's, I can tell you from personal experience, it is a very difficult position to be in emotionally and financially. Yeah, let's dive into that. So what is, so you mentioned that your mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's 10 years ago. So let's go back to that time. And you know, what were some of the financial and emotional challenges that you were facing? My mother was divorced and living on her own. I had moved back to Kentucky, which is my home state from Washington, D.C. And like I had, I was about 30 years old when I moved back and I did not have any kids yet. And, you know, I had actually had a conversation with my mother about long-term care insurance, which helps pay for the cost of long-term care, which is care in, you know, a nursing home, assisted living, and even covers care in your own home. So I'd had this conversation with her. I told her, you know, just point blank, mom, I think you should look into getting a long-term care insurance policy, knowing that if she needed care, that this would help pay for it. So she took my advice and she met with an insurance agent, but unfortunately she had a pre-existing health condition. It was not dementia or Alzheimer's at the time. It was another condition that made her too high risk. And, you know, looking back, I can say I should have used that opportunity to have in-depth conversations with my mother about her finances and to make a plan about how she would pay for long-term care, we would pay for long-term care, and what sort of care she would want if she ever needed it. But I didn't, you know, because I just, I wasn't even thinking about it. And, and I've been a, you know, personal finance journalist for a very long time. I was at the time, but it just didn't seem like a conversation I needed to have. And, and so, you know, I understand why plenty of adults out there are not talking to their parents about their finances because, you know, we're trying to get a handle on our own. And so I didn't have this conversation with my mother. And then fast forward a few years, I had two kids at that point, And I start noticing that my mom is having trouble remembering things. And at that point, the conversation with her would not have been talking about a what if scenario mom, let's talk about your finances and plan for long-term care if you ever need it. It was now going to be, mom, I, I can see that you're having issues remembering things. We need to start you know, putting a plan in place right away. But I didn't want to have to be the one to tell my mom that I could see she was having memory troubles. And so it was, I, was very, I wasn't nervous about talking about her finances. I was nervous about having that, that bigger conversation with her. And so Really, I was dragging my feet. Like I just, I just didn't want to have to confront the this whole issue that my mother was starting to have trouble remembering things. You know, especially for me with two young kids and and living in the same town as my mother. You know, I had this you know idea in my head that my mom was going to be there to help me with my kids. And suddenly, I was realizing, oh my gosh, I have these two young kids, and I'm probably going to have to help my mom. And you know, just not even knowing like where to begin. But I did know because I am a financial journalist, I knew I needed to get her in to meet with an attorney to update her estate planning documents, her will, her power of attorney, her living will. And so, you know, after kind of dragging my feet for a little bit, I was like, mom, we need to meet with an attorney to update these documents. I had a feeling she probably hadn't since she and my dad had gotten divorced and she agreed. And we went in and it's so important because you had to be mentally competent to sign these documents. And even though she was starting to have memory issues, she was still competent enough to sign them. And then from there, 
I started having more conversations. You know, the, the attorney suggested some things we should do. I started to have, you know, I started getting involved with her financial life, really just to protect her, you know, initially from making bad financial decisions. And and now that it's been 10 years since her Alzheimer's diagnosis, I mean, I'm in charge of everything. You know, I make healthcare decisions for her. I make financial decisions for her. She's in assisted living. She did live with me for a while, you know, which was extremely difficult and stressful. But yeah, I look back at this and I, I kick myself for not talking to her sooner before there was an emergency that forced the conversation. Yeah. It's one of those where, and, and this is to, in total transparency. I, I think in my situation, you know, I was talking to you about talking to my parents about this is that I make a lot of assumptions like, oh, my mother's an account. She has her stuff together. You know, they've talked, my parents have talked about finances, my sisters, you know, in the financial industry, they probably have it all figured out, but you just never know. And you know, hearing from your story, it just sounds like it's not just the financial stuff, right? It's the emotional side of it. It's like you said, you were nervous about it because it wasn't about what kind of inheritance you're going to get or just talking attorney. It's about like, how do you approach your parents about their health concerns, their aging? Maybe you do need to take care of them eventually, like all of that, you know, wrapped up in a nice bow, <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> not really a nice bow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I will tell you, you're so right, because if you're assuming that your parents had their financial act together, you could be so wrong. My And just to give you another example, my father, he passed away at the age of 61. He had a heart attack. I was 28 at the time. And my dad died without a will. He was in a second marriage and he was an attorney. He should have known better. I mean, he he wrote wills for people. Yet he died without his own will. And I assumed, you know, of course, (laughs) of course he should have a will. He's an attorney. He knows to have these sort of things in place, but he didn't. So you never, you never know. Like your parents might seem on top of it, but they might not be at all. And that means it will impact you. It can impact you while they are living if they have not prepared financially for retirement, for the cost of healthcare, for long-term care, if you have to get involved and help them out. And you know, of course, everyone does die. And so if your parent dies without a will or a living trust, you and any siblings you have and other family members, you're going to have to deal with what's left behind. And if your parents have left something in writing, it makes it so much easier. It reduces the friction. It limits the potential for fighting among family members. It just, it makes it so much easier for for you, the child. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's going to benefit you and your parents if you have all of the paperwork and plans together. I mean, I think that if you approach it that way, I mean, do you recommend people approach it that way where it's not, where you don't try to make a conversation about like, this is going to help me, but I'm doing this because I care about you and the rest of the family, you know, therefore I want to work with you to to figure all this out? Yes. You want to make it very clear that you want to have this conversation with your parents because you're looking out for their best interest. You know, something, and, and I give like 10 different conversation starters in my book, but the overall approach that you should be taking regardless of the actual way you start the conversation is to let your parents know, you know, mom and dad, I'm so grateful for everything you did for me. If something ever happens to you, I want to be able to return that favor. If you ever need my help, I want to be able to provide it for you. And so I need to get some information in order to help you out if you ever need it. You know, and maybe you never need it, 
but I want to be prepared because I want to know what wishes, what your wishes are. I want to know what sort of care you would want. I want to be able to help you age comfortably because you deserve it. It's not at all about you. The last thing you want to do is, you know, approach the conversation from the point of view of let's talk about your estate plan, your will, so I know what I'm getting, or let's do this, you know, just because I don't want to have to deal with a mess that you leave behind. You certainly don't want to come at it from that way, nor do you want to be condescending at all and be judgmental of your parents if they have made some financial missteps in their life. You don't want to, you know, come to them and be like, you know, mom and dad, I'm really worried about what your retirement's going to be like because I see you making a lot of mistakes with your money and I don't want to have to be there to take care of that mess. Of course, you don't want to do that because you're going to put them on the defensive. And even if you are the financially savvy person in your family and your parents have made a lot of mistakes, you certainly don't want to highlight that because this is one of the big reasons that people can be reluctant to talk about money because they're embarrassed. They haven't made smart financial decisions. And so you want to be aware of that and very sensitive to that when you talk to your parents. No, that's, you're absolutely right. Is that I think I know personally one of my fears is that I'm going to offend, accidentally offend someone or they're going to get on the defensive and then the conversation just shuts down. Like I have all these scenarios in my head. And I think in your book, you really highlighted some great fears that some people might have even before they have the talk and working through that. Can you just let us know what some of those are? Sure. So I think a couple of the really big ones, big fears that adult children have when it comes to talking to their parents about their finances is that their parents are going to think they're being nosy or greedy. You know, the parents might say, well, my finances are none of your business. And they, if your parents think money is a taboo topic, they might respond this way. If Of course, if you come to them trying to start the conversation, you know, from what am I going to get? Of course, they're going to think you're being greedy. And so if you approach it carefully, you know, like I said, letting them know you want to have this conversation because you're looking out for them. It's not about what, you know, what's in it for you, but I want to be able to help you. Then most likely they will not think you're being nosy or greedy. Now, people are also afraid that they might offend their parents, like you said. You might upset the relationship. Your parents will get really angry with you. Now, again, if money is a taboo topic in your family and you bring this up, it might seem awkward at first for your parents to even open up any about their finances. But if you let them know, you know, that you're having this conversation out of love. And if you do have, in general, a good relationship with your parents, they're probably not going to blow up at you. They're not going to fly off the handle (laughs) simply because you said, Hey, mom and dad, I really want to have this conversation, you know, and you're an adult now, you know, they're not going to ground you. Now, granted, even though you're an adult, they might still think of you as that teenage kid, you know, who is sneaking out at night and that that can make it difficult for them to want to open up to you. But most likely you are not going to offend your parents. You're not going to make them angry. You're not going to ruin your relationship if you approach the conversation carefully. That's a great point. I think you know, if there's a takeaway from this entire conversation so far is that it's definitely focusing a lot of the soft skills because I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that once you have that conversation, you can always recommend a financial professional, whether that's an estate attorney or a financial planner or some sort of person that can help them figure out the paperwork. But it's really important to have those conversations before you even do that. Yes. You know, and and oftentimes, you might need to get a third party involved even to get your parents to open up a little bit because as I said, 
they might still think of you as a young kid. And it's hard to hear this sort of advice from your child. You know, your child coming in and saying, hey, let's talk about your finances so we can plan. They might balk at that because they think, well, you're my kid. Why should I listen to you? But if you've got, you know, a family friend you can reach out to, or you know, perhaps they're already working with a financial professional and asking that person, hey, could you please, please, please encourage mom and dad to share some information with me or make sure that they have things in place and, you know, let me know at least where the will is or where the other estate planning documents are, or let, you know, at least give me an idea of what they've done to prepare their finances. Having that third party can sometimes make it easier for your parents that might be willing to listen to a peer rather than to you as the child. But certainly, you know, if you can get the ball rolling and then encourage them to meet with someone, you know, that's going to help a lot because they are going to have to meet with at least an attorney to make sure they have those estate planning documents, which I know it sounds like something only rich people would do. You hear the word estate and you think, you know, someone who has a big mansion out in the country, which is not true. Unfortunately, you know, estate planning, that term makes it sound like it's something only a certain segment of the population does, but it's something everyone, everyone needs to do. You know, have that will, which is going to spell out who gets what when you die. And even if you don't have a lot, at least you get to decide who gets it rather than letting the state law determine it. The power of attorney, which lets you name someone to make financial decisions for you if you no longer can. And that living will or advanced healthcare directive, which spells out what sort of end of life medical care you would or would not want and lets you name someone to make healthcare decisions for you. So, you know, encouraging your parents to have these documents, to meet with an attorney, so, so, so important. So I know it can get complicated because maybe there's siblings, there's other family members that want to help step siblings, you know, if you're in a second marriage, et cetera. So would you, what would you do in those situations? Like if there's more than one child, that's obviously has a parent's best interest at heart. Would you recommend bringing a mediator? Would you recommend maybe practicing what you're going to say even before you approach your parents? Like, what would you do? I think in some regards, if you're an only child, this conversation can be a little bit easier, but it's also tougher because your parents, you know, if they need help, are going to count on you. If you have siblings and you have a good relationship with your siblings, of course, that's going to make it easier because you should be talking to your siblings before you even talk to your parents. All of you want to get on the same page and figure out which one of you is going to start the conversation. Is it going to be one? Is it going to be all of you? When are you going to do it? What approach are you going to use? And also talking about what roles each of you is willing to play as your parents age. It's so important to kind of have that sorted out before you even sit down with your parents. You know, if you go to them as this united force, they're going to see that, you know, all of you are, you know, on the same page. You're looking out for your parents. You know, you've kind of sorted things out. And so at least you're not coming to them you know, and disagreement, you're coming to them in agreement that all of you want to help. Of course, it doesn't always work this way in some families. Siblings don't always get along, which can make it a little bit more difficult. And certainly, like you said, still, you want to try to talk to your siblings before you talk to your parents. And a good way you can do that is figure out what you want to discuss with them. And you can write it down beforehand. You can email your siblings, you know, hey, brother and sister, I would love to hop on the phone with you, you know, meet with you. I really think it's important to talk to mom and dad. I'd like to discuss these things. 
giving them a heads up instead of just springing at them, springing it on them, you know, suddenly saying, Hey, let's talk about mom and dad. I've been thinking about this and you're catching them off guard. You want to give them some time to process it before you sit down and talk. And certainly when you do sit down and figure out how you're going to approach what can be a touchy conversation with your parents, each child should have a turn to talk. And if you're the one calling this meeting with your siblings, let your siblings talk first. Say, you know, we're here to talk about mom and dad. We're here to come up with a plan on how we're going to talk to them. You know, hey, sister, little sister, I want to hear from you first, you know, about what, how you think we should approach it. I want to hear what you think is most important that we should discuss. Okay, big brother, it's your turn. So you basically kind of go around in a circle and you speak last. Everyone gets a chance to talk and you want to make it clear that you're there to come up with a plan for your parents. It's not about you guys. It's not about, you know, your differences. You're trying to come to an agreement. You know, you're trying to find common ground and that common ground is mom and dad. And so you want to make it clear, we need to be looking out what's out for what is best for mom and dad, you know, and that's why we want to have this conversation is to know what they want. And so letting everyone have a turn to voice their opinion and then finding that common ground, that would be the goal of these conversations. Of course, if you meet with a lot of resistance from your siblings, you know, and you're really determined to have this conversation, which you should be, you know, let them know if they, if they're not willing to cooperate, that you do want to have the conversation. You're going to talk to mom and dad and you will report back to them and give them an update, you know, but at least giving them an opportunity to be involved is a good idea because you don't want to create anger or resentment. No, that's, that's a great point. I think that, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm probably going to practice what I want to say before I go and do it because I think for many people, money can be such a taboo topic by itself. Like, you know, I can't handle my finances. What gives me the right to talk to my parents about it? And so I think there's that too is coming to terms with it's not just about the money. <laughs> it, it's, it's about much more than that. And I think if, if people can come into that mindset, like you said, get the common ground, it's about, you know, caring for your parents and, and showing them that, then I think, you know, it will be helpful when you do have that talk. You know, and you just made a very good point. You know, it, it is not just about the finances. In fact, it's, you know, I've written a book about having financial conversations with your parents, but really the conversation goes well beyond that. It's not about getting the details of their finances. You know, how much do you have in your bank account? Rather, where do you bank? Mm-hmm. What what sort of, you know, legal documents do you have in place? What sort of insurance policies do you have? Do you have a plan for long-term care? Do you have any idea how you're going to pay for it? What is your retirement going to look like? You know, what do you want to be able to stay in this house you've been in for the last two decades? Or are you thinking about downsizing? Looking at these bigger picture topics and having starting the conversation that way actually can make it a lot easier than saying, mom and dad, I need to get some details about your finances because people are often reluctant to share the dollar amounts. And and really, the dollar amounts aren't so important. It's knowing what sort of accounts they have, where those accounts are, what sort of planning they've done. That's what's really important here. Right. And that's a great point. So I think, again, focusing on I'm going to say beyond the dollar <laughs> um, is probably <laughs> probably a great idea. So I want to switch gears just a little bit. I know you mentioned this in your book, but I, I would love listeners to kind of get a bit of a snippet of this is, let's say worst case scenario, something does happen to your parents and let's say they have Alzheimer's or some sort of 
condition where they they do require long-term care and this conversation hasn't happened and you don't have power of attorney, you don't have any access to their account, et cetera. Like what, what can happen in that scenario? Honestly, it's pretty grim. I interviewed a man for my book whose father had Alzheimer's disease and his father had not named him power of attorney before his dementia had progressed to a point where, you know, he would no longer have been able to even sign a power of attorney document. He was no longer mentally competent. But the father had ended up in the emergency room and had emergency surgery. And the son had to, you know, fly across the US to come be there with him. And he could not access his father's bank account to pay his bills, his medical bills, because he was not power of attorney. The bank didn't even want to talk to him. So this man had to go through the court process. And this is what anyone would have to do if their parents had not already named them or someone else power of attorney to make financial decisions for them. You have to go through the court process to get what is typically called conservatorship. It's the legal right to make financial decisions from for someone if they haven't already named a power of attorney. So this man I interviewed, he spent nine months and $10,000 going through this court process. He hired an attorney for himself. He hired an attorney for his dad because basically you're putting your parent on trial to prove they're no longer mentally competent. He had a neuropsychiatrist evaluate his father to prove in court that he was no longer mentally competent to manage his own finances. He had to go through background checks. I mean, it was a very lengthy, grueling process. Finally, finally was named conservator for his father, finally got access to his dad's account. In the meantime, he had been paying his dad's medical bills out of his own pocket, you know, ended up spending actually a total of $25,000. And a lot of people, I mean, how many people have $25,000 lying around that they can use to pay for their parents' care, to go through court proceedings, to get conservatorship for their parents? It, like I said, it can be very grim, very difficult, very expensive, very emotionally trying. If your parents don't have these legal documents in place, something happens, and then you have to go through court proceedings to get the right to manage your parents' finances, to get the right to make healthcare decisions for them. And so, you know, this is why, and I almost think that the power of attorney and that living will document or the advanced healthcare document those are even more important than the will. Mm. Like, you know, ideally having a will is great, but those things can be sorted out after a parent dies. But if you don't have that power of attorney and the healthcare power of attorney, a document that spells out what sort of, you know, in the life care you would want, if you're in a coma, whether you want life support, that's where it gets so difficult and expensive. That's where fights break out. That's, you know, the lengthy court process. That's something you want to avoid at all costs. And if anything, if you can only get your parents to do one thing, make sure they have these documents, ideally meet with an attorney so that these documents are drawn up specific to their situation. But if they can't afford that, and it can cost you know up to $1,000 or more to have the will, the power of attorney, the living will drawn up, there are cheaper options available online at websites such as LegalZoom, Nolo.com, Rocket Lawyer, they can go and get those documents online. It's more of a fill in the blank type of form, but having something can be better than nothing. Yeah. And I agree. I'll link to all those in the show notes. And I think there's a few other free resources that, right, that people can right. sign up and for. And you yeah. can find, 
Yeah. And they're, they, you know, their state bar associations do have free mm-hmm. wills. And oftentimes your doctor's office might have the living will form that you can mm-hmm. use and fill out. So, and sometimes, you know, even, um, you know, financial institutions might have a power of attorney form that they can give to clients. So if I were to, let's say, download it from Rocket Lawyer and fill in the blank, like you said, can I get an attorney to review it? Would that be like a more cheaper option, do you think? Yes, yes. Okay. And I have I have had attorneys say that that is something you can do. You know, you just need to find an attorney who's going to be willing to do it because, of course, they might say, well, you know, it would be better if you had me drafted for <laughs> right. you. But... <laughs> But, you know, the thing is, too, if your parents are low income, there there are legal resources out there. I mean, there's there's legal aid, mm. which is out there, you know, to help lower income families and you can get free or low cost legal assistance. And so that might be an option, too, is getting that inexpensive document online and then going to your local legal aid and asking someone there to review it for you. Or maybe even, you know, they might even have someone who does estate plans in their office who can help provide you with low cost versions of those documents. That sounds great. I'll again, definitely link to those in the show notes. So whatever your financial situation, there's really no, there are resources out there for practically anyone to to get these types of documents and even legal advice or counsel. Right. Okay, great. So looking back, you know, you're, like you said, you were very thankful that you were able to help your mom out, not have to go through what that, you know, that unfortunately very grim story, right? Yours wasn't nearly like that. If it, you know, if you were looking back, one thing that you were very thankful that happened, like what would it be? I am so thankful that my mother was willing to listen to my advice. I know some people really struggle to get their parents to open up about their finances when I suggested that my mom meet with an attorney, she was on board with that. When the attorney suggested that we go to her bank and put me on her account as a representative payee, she was okay with that. And as I had to step in and start really taking over her finances, there were some situations where she pushed back, which is natural because for her, it was giving up control. But for the most part, it was relatively easy to communicate with my mom, to, you know, start doing some planning. It's just because she was already having memory issues. That's what made it so hard. Like the conversations would have been so much easier if I had had them before she was having health issues. And we were talking about hypothetical situations as opposed to we're dealing with this now. And, you know, so because I had waited, we were already in the thick of it. And that's what made it difficult because it wasn't just the financial things that we were having to deal with. We were dealing with the emotional side of her dementia, which is why I really want people to realize the sooner you have these conversations to get the better. I have people who often tell me, you know, when, the, when I talk about this with them, they say, oh, well, we're not there yet. You know, my parents, they're, they're healthy. I don't need to have this conversation. And I get it because people feel like, why have this difficult conversation before it's necessary? But if you wait until there's the emergency, it's just so much harder. You have fewer options. Emotions are running high. People don't think as rationally. So just please, please, please don't wait to have them. Well, thank you so much. So one last question I always ask my guests is, how are you living beyond the dollar? I would say that, you know, we, I feel fortunate, both my husband and I have careers, which means that we have money in our budget to do things beyond just paying the bills. And one of the things that we really enjoy 
spending our money on is traveling with our family, with our three kids. And the kids love it. I feel like in a way they've kind of gotten spoiled because we do travel a lot. And (laughs) this past summer, because my book came out and I've been so busy with that, we really didn't do much traveling. And I've had to listen to my kids complain a little bit, but they've (laughs) they've been pretty gracious. (laughs) They've been pretty gracious saying, you know, mom, we know this is important to you, but we love our experiences traveling with our kids and we're letting them see the world and experience things beyond Kentucky where we live. And I'm just so glad that we can provide those opportunities for our kids. Well, Cameron, thank you so much again for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you so much for having me. All right. As promised, we're going to dive right into Cameron's suggestions and challenges for you to think about how you're going to approach the conversation with your parents. Now, in my experience, it was more the anticipation of the actual conversation that was more nerve wracking than the conversation itself. Now, of course, I don't know what your relationship with your siblings, if any, are like. I don't know what your relationships with your parents are. I'm hoping that it's pretty good where you can have these conversations. Even if not, I'm good luck to you and hopefully you can try to find some way to do it because it does affect you ultimately, right? So some of the suggestions that Cameron talks about is don't start off the conversation being about money. And I think this is really good universal advice for most conversations about money, even if it's with your friends or with your loved ones or your spouse or your partner. So Specifically to your parents, maybe just start off approaching, talking about their plans of what they're going to do after they retire. Or if you want to go even further, talk about the idea of long-term care, how they're going to basically handle their medical expenses and all of those things when they're getting older. And so approach it as you that you're caring about their well-being. Because at the end of the day, that's really why you're having this conversation, right? Is that you want to make sure that they're well taken care of. And that if you have to step in for whatever reason, or if a sibling has to step in for whatever reason, you know where their paperwork is and you know what their wishes are, right? Now, you don't have to go through all the financial nitty gritty. That's really not what the point of this is. And so maybe if they don't want to share numbers with you, that's fine. Maybe suggest that they talk to a professional. Again, you don't need to know the exact details of the dollar amounts, just really where the paperwork is stored in their house or you have a copy of it and really their wishes and healthcare directives. Something that I really want to stress is that estate planning is for everyone. And Cameron said this as well. It doesn't matter how much or how little money you have. Estate planning is for everyone, right? You don't want to be in a position where no one can really help you make decisions on your behalf in terms of healthcare or your money while you are still alive. Okay. So there are lots of free resources. I will have them in the show notes. Go to beyondthedollar.co and or just click on the link in the podcast app and I'll make sure to have plenty of links for you. There are some free options, some low cost options, and some other resources that you can check out. Final thing I do want to talk about is get a mediator involved if you have to. Sometimes conversations aren't going to go well, unfortunately. So Try to talk with your siblings before you talk to your parents, and if need be, bring someone in. Sometimes emotions really run high, and maybe you're agreeing to the same things, but it just sounds like you're not. And so bringing a third party in that's neutral 
is really going to help diffuse the situation and try to be a little more objective when it comes to these sorts of conversations. So hopefully that helps. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, please let me know. You can email me. I read every single email. Hello at beyondthedollar.co or hit me up, slide into my DMs at Instagram, beyond the dollar. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link. Whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music. Music.